Hey, hey, Robert, you here? Yes, sir. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Super Ken. Yeah, you're welcome, man. It's my pleasure. I'll tell you what, I have been uh, looking forward to this uh, for a while now. And I mean, when you say for a while, you mean most of your career or most of your life? Most of my life. I actually thought at some point it would be the highlight of my world if I could actually sit and have a, a, a chat, a podcast with the legendary Robert Bodwin. I mean, pretty much you worked your whole career to get to a point where you were good enough at being a mascot so that you could actually have the privilege of interviewing me about the very craft that you do professionally. Yes. Yes, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. That is it. All right. Well, then let's do so, it. Right what can on, I tell you? Right on, right on. something you're already super at. <laughs> uh, well, hey, before we get into all that, let me start this out by saying welcome to Between the Fur with your host, me, Ken, who is a professional mascot right now, which I don't say who I am, uh, but I'll reveal, I'll reveal that at some point, I'm sure, but... At this point, I'm not, and I'm just hosting this. This is where we talk with uh, – it's, it's called Between the Fur because it's between mascots here. This is uh, oh, mascot talk. Yeah, get Man, it. I thought this was like a between the sheets type of thing. <laughs> I thought it was about to get weird and fairy-like all of a sudden. Not that kind of fur. <laughs> not that, not that fur. kind of deal. Yeah, no, no, no. So this is Between the Fur. Professional mascot talk. Yes. So. Well, all joking aside, thank you for having me on. You are certainly a peer uh, that I've always looked up to. And, uh, you know, everybody has a slightly different style. And I've always admired, uh, without saying which character, your ability to just work the crowd, improv, uh, your wittiness in the moment, and your ability to draw your audience into the show. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, as pro mascots go, you're the best at, man. Oh. It's a privilege for me. Well, thank you. That is very kind of you to say. <laughs> well, I've cool. always been a big fan of yours. And like I said, I've been looking forward to talking with you and getting you on here. So uh, today's the day. So, yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, first of all, let's start out by telling uh, give me give, give me the history of of Robert Bodwin and how you became uh, a mascot and then professionally a mascot and you know that type of thing. How'd you get started? Right. So um, I didn't set out to become a professional mascot. Um, I think you might have, but uh, very few people in the business uh, start that way and get into it that way. Uh, I fell into it my senior year in high school back in 1991 in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I was going to Wissahickon High School in Ambler, Pennsylvania, when at the very uh, beginning onset of my senior year, all of the senior cheerleaders approached me and asked me if I'd be the mascot. They had a different senior do it every year. There was no tryouts. They just kind of got together as the senior cheerleaders and said, who in the senior class, they only picked a senior, is a kind of class clown, goofball, uh, enjoys being center of attention, but not in a disciplinary problem type way. No detentions and stuff like that. And uh, I think I was an obvious choice for them. Uh, you <laughs> Wait, know, you? I was always, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, always enjoyed being in the spotlight. Always enjoyed 
being slightly offbeat and marching to my own drum and doing things that made me stand out and were unique and was always up for uh, a laugh uh, and could usually be self-effacing even at that uh, that awkward stage of the high school years. So I did it, embraced it. Um, I think I embraced it more so than anybody else that had had the role. Um, I think they knew that on the onset because in the past, the Wissahickon Trojan was just a guy that would wear kind of sweatpants and a sweatshirt and then a helmet with the mohawk deal over it and uh, some body armor and a sword and shield. And I immediately said, let me have your largest cheerleading skirt. And I wore that as a kilt. Uh, and they were like, what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I paint my face and uh, started, you know, doing little vignettes and, you know, skits would be a strong word at that stage of my uh, performance, uh, you know, history, but, uh, and journey, uh, but really got into it, started doing all the football home and away, all the basketball home and away, started getting, uh, appearances like parades and stuff. And when I got to the university of Delaware, my freshman year, I met some cheerleaders again. Uh, that was a common theme in my <laughs> mascotting career. I was dating the captain of the cheerleading team in high school, ended up dating the captain of the cheerleading team, uh, two different captains, actually, in college. <laughs> Hopefully they won't be listening to this. And then um, when I got to uh, the Rockets, ended up dating the uh, captain of the cheerleading team, who then became the director of the cheerleading team, and I had uh, identical twin sons with. But uh, got the role at the University of Delaware at the end of my freshman year. Only one other guy tried out. He was the incumbent. Um, I thought it, he would definitely get it having been there two years and turns out what i didn't know is they didn't like this guy and they were ready to put any warm body into the costume that walked through the door and i by happenstance and serendipitously met some cheerleaders the night beforehand in a dorm party and uh got the role and very luckily again uh it was right when the university of delaware was rebranding they had many different images of the blue hen out there but they wanted to solidify it and unify it and break down the silos. And I got to see a rebrand at a university level that was 18,000 students big at the time uh, where they were created this character, Udy, which was originally created by Real Characters Incorporated out of Atlanta. Uh-huh. Know them well. So, yeah, I know you do. Mm -hmm. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, same costume company I know that you used uh, at the time as well as uh, the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, it was all done professionally. I was on a plane at the age of 19, the only second time I'd been on a plane in my life. Uh, headed down to Atlanta to get custom fit for this. And we debuted the costume in uh, September of 1993. Uh, that took off for me. Uh, that I was the first and only person to uh, portray that character. We didn't use backups. Um, I was spending about 35 hours a week in addition to being a full-time student portraying the character, doing all the production work and the scheduling of appearances behind the scenes. Uh, I got put on a partial scholarship. I was a uh, PR intern uh, part-time at the University of Delaware as well. Uh, and then I started teaching for Universal Cheerleaders Association. And through that, uh, in the summer of 1995, I got an audition with the then second-time world championship, Houston Rockets. And uh, got offered the job and left my senior year at Delaware in October of 95 to create uh, what was then known as the Rockets Bear. And we didn't name it until about a year later uh, as Clutch. And uh, the rest, as they say, 
was history or infamy. 21 <laughs> years uh, later at the Rockets, I retired in the summer of 2016 uh, after being clutch full-time for 21 years, also doing side characters, uh, Houston Comets mascot Haley for 12 years, a character I created back in 97, and two arena football mascots uh, for that same ownership. So uh, I kind of fell into it, but it's been a ride, and uh, it's been a great one. Well, you know, I've always known you to be, uh, you know, at 100% or more. I mean, honestly, everything that you that you put your hands on, you give it 100% uh, and, and, you know, really take it to the next level and really give it all your energy, all your all your emotion, all your, you know, physicality, everything is is, uh, uh, you know, always <clears throat> I've always known you to be 100 miles an hour. And I think um, I appreciate that. I think that's my only talent. <laughs> I uh, actually have no talent except that I am willing to 100% commit, go all in, and give it my all. Uh, but as far as rhythm, nope, don't have that. Um, you know, not the uh, greatest athlete, um, as many of the guys in this profession are. <clears throat> but um, I guess going all in, committing, putting myself in the fan seat, and trying to come up with stuff, whether it be sketches or videos or just improv that is interesting, not boring, not vanilla, and not safe. Um, I think that uh, the riskiest thing you can do as a performer or in any career uh, is to play it safe in the long run time and time again. You become obsolete, irrelevant, and just a cog in the wheel. Uh, so I've kind of prided myself on making smart risk and uh continually pushing myself to take those risks over the years and uh intense is something i view as a strength it all depends on who you talk to <laughs> some people yeah. might say that that is my greatest strength other people might tell you that that is what drives uh, them nuts most about me uh, <laughs> so i believe our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses and intensity is certainly one of mine <laughs> <laughs> yes you definitely are intense and i i really admired that over the years in fact i just want to say for anybody listening out there who either is wanting to become a mascot or has you know higher hopes of uh you know taking it to the next level or uh you know or just you know wanting a, 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 just a good lesson in life man follow robert because he has uh he's a great lesson in in commitment and intensity and, you know, giving it your all. And um, that uh, to me is, is just a great life, life lesson. I think a lot of people nowadays are just like toe dippers, you know, they just eh, put your toe in and, and uh, <coughs> if, if it works great, if it doesn't, eh, not too, I haven't lost too much. So. Yeah. I'm not too interested in that. And I don't think no. you are either. Can no. I, I mean, um, that's just, if it's easy, it's not very fun. I mean, we learn this lesson at a young age. Uh, we then teach it to our children that things that are easy just don't have that much value to us uh, and don't provide that much value to others. Um, so at the end of the day, you really kind of want that challenge because it's the challenge that makes, uh, you know, it worth it. Right. Um, and uh, also makes something special and stand out and be remarkable. Uh, be something that people want to talk about. Uh, and then you kind of 
matriculate your character from just being uh, some sideshow entertainment or a marketing piece or a community give back piece. Uh, and hopefully if you stay at it long enough and you have some talent and you know, push hard enough, your character can become an integral part of the show and uh, the purchasing decision and what people look forward to when they go to a game uh, and not just some sideshow ancillary entertainment, but a real uh, difference maker. Right. Well, you've got a real good feel for the marketing side of things as well. Hey, you, you know what? Tell me uh, a little bit of and, and this here. I'm going to stretch your memory here a little bit, but you you're a smart okay. guy. So you probably just will spout this off uh, off the cuff here. But um, you shared with me a uh, kind of an approach or or a uh, I don't know, kind of a mission statement, I guess, is what uh, is what it was. You shared that. Smiles? Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. the, the acronym and, and everything. Can you uh, – I'd love to share that with everybody, if you, sure. if you don't mind. So I think what you're talking about uh, was more out of the fact that I did get my start early on in my career as a mascot uh, with UCA, Universal Cheerleaders Association. That's how I got the opportunity in the audition with the Rockets. And that was always coaching mascots. Uh, I think I've coached – we added it up one time, six to – 700 mascots now over the last 25 years uh, at UCA camps, at camps I've hosted on my own, at private one-offs. So I've always kind of had a passion for it. Uh, I also like public speaking quite a bit. Just had a a recent TEDx talk that went very well at the University of Houston back in uh, November, uh, as well as many other public speaking gigs. So I think uh, sometime back in like 2004, I was kicking around, you know, how to better teach young performers and aspiring talent uh, the, the craft and the purpose of it and how it's a multifaceted, multidimensional, um, you know, tool. Mascots are a tool, um, you know, and they're not just entertainers. They're not just community advocates. They're not just, uh, you know, marketing pieces. They're all these things. And not just a clown. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, certainly Some not. guy that I mean, gets paid in beers to... Yeah, that's why I always think, you know, the word mascot is a little misleading. Some people don't get all that goes into it. You know, they think, oh, you show up, what, 15 minutes before the game, throw the costume on and sweat. And anybody that's done it at the professional level knows it's far from that. It's more akin to like uh, a Saturday Night Live uh, writer and actor and then a business person and uh, a marketing manager and a brand builder. Yeah. Um, So we came up with this acronym uh, smiles. Sometimes I say we. Uh, I think of myself in clutch. <laughs> it's a little uh, schizophrenic. And, uh, knowledge myself I do the same thing. But uh, I came up with this acronym, SMILES, and the S in SMILES stood for stuffed animal. I think at a very innate level that mascots to young children are exactly that. They're real life uh cartoon characters and stuffed animals and they're there for hugs and high fives or as i call it the mascot four h's hugs high fives hijinks and hilarity uh so you can just always remembering to stop the world for a kid to give them that attention and to be there as that larger than life uh stuffed animal the m was uh marketing and basically that's our our real life billboard or walking breathing living billboard logo extension for our teams so that every time we're seen out in the public whether it be at a school show or a parade or a community function or a fair or a sponsor's place of business that anytime the public sees us 
they think of our teams and in turn it builds the brand. It's usually a stronger connection than just seeing a billboard because there's an interactive level there. You're hugging a kid or you're making an adult laugh. And hopefully that's a memorable thing that builds our brand and we sell more tickets because of it. We sell more merchandise because of it. It reinforces our brand identity in our local communities. So on the I in smiles, I stands for inspire. Uh, and I kind of view this as the mascot's role as cheerleader. Uh, you know, the first, I always thought the first three quarters of an NBA game, it was my job to be an entertainer and kind of the masters of ceremony or the ringleader, mm-hmm. kind of uh, the master of the three ring circus leader, uh, ringmaster, but also the head clown. But that last quarter, I kind of always viewed it as my job to be the inspirer and the head cheerleader that uh, hopefully brings us all on the same page and creates that home court advantage that we all know gives our home teams an edge. Uh, So it was doing things like uh, the correct flag or the correct sign bit or the correct call and response routine. Uh, So the I in, in smiles is inspire. The L is why I got into the business in the first place. It's laughter. Uh, everybody always asks me, you know, what do you love most about this or why did you go into this? And it's because at an, you know, very basic level and in an eight level, I love making people laugh. Um, love giving them that feeling of joy, even if it's just for a few seconds so that they can forget about their troubles or their stresses. Uh, and in a selfish way, it makes me feel good. Uh, it makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel uh, good that I can bring that kind of joy to people. Uh, so whether that laughter comes in the form of working the audience in an improvisational way or producing a uh, rehearsed skit, live skit, or a, a pre-shot video, um, really kind of at the core of why I love mascotting is the ability to make people laugh. The E in Smiles stands for Educate. Uh, we were very lucky and fortunate to be able to have done almost 2,000 elementary school shows now in the last 23 years in front of over one and a quarter million students, mostly in the Houston area, but also at times around the country. Uh, And I really kind of uh, gained a a love for what I call edutainment, which is uh, obvious. It's both entertaining and educating the kids, uh, hopefully to make future-oriented decisions, uh, to dream big now and to work hard now to achieve those things down the line. Uh, And in many cases, those are in um, lower socioeconomic neighborhoods where the kids might not necessarily uh, have dreams that are that big. Or if they do, they just don't always have the encouragement to achieve them. Uh, So that was a a huge thing for me. And I know uh, some other mascots out there that have done that as well. But I think you also see it in characters that might not even get into the school shows as much, but that attach a slogan and a cause to their character. Uh, Phoenix Gorillas Inhale Life was always one of my favorites that they did really well and consistently over the years. Uh, the final letter in smiles is stunts. And when I say that, I don't mean just the stunts uh, that some of the characters uh, with the mini tramp dunking and the uh, rollerblade ramp dunking and the rappelling, those physical daredevil, evil Knievel feats, but also the more of the P.T. Barnum media stunts uh, that you're doing quirky little promotions. Uh, community uh, or at your arena or stadium to derive a lot of free publicity and media, uh, i.e. dollars that your team doesn't have to spend on advertising, Uh, whether it's riding a Ferris wheel for 24 straight hours or a 100-lap go-kart race around the Toyota Center 
uh, or staying up on a balcony for uh, we did 112 straight hours. Uh, we've kind of had fun over the years playing with that, uh, with media stunts, uh, promoting different team initiatives. So that's kind of uh, it in a nutshell. Uh, my kind of mission statement as a mascot and a tool that I use to teach other aspiring uh, performers yeah. and brand builders. That's amazing. I mean, it really does sum it up. I mean, that, that whole acronym and the way you explained it really does sum up what, uh, you know, what we do. And, uh, you know, I like how you put it into words. Uh, even the, the structure of the game, uh, at, at one point, you know, you'd switch from entertainer to inspirer to, you know, uh, cheerleader type of thing, rah, rah, mm-hmm. rah, getting everybody on the same page and, and uh, boosting that team to the next level. And even I love what you said about the, about the kids and, and uh, you know, that's a lot of school shows. That's a lot of kids. And uh, you gotta be proud of that. That's a, that's a real accomplishment. And I, you know, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, Kenny. Yeah. I, Thank you. I, I know I from any, you know, from all my uh, appearances that I do, um, it, it, that is an enormous amount of work. So, um, you know, I had a school show about two years ago. I had a teacher that had hung around after the show come up to me and said, wow, after all the students had cleared out, wow, that show was so good. It was even better the second time that I saw it. And I said, oh, that's nice. Thank you. Were you at a show last year at a different school? Did you transfer? And she said, no, I saw it when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> I immediately wanted to say, well, thanks a lot, jerk. <laughs> now I feel like I'm 105. Um, but now we had a good laugh about it. But it was um, uh, one of those odd backhanded compliments that I, I really uh, enjoyed that gave me perspective of how long I've been doing this. And, uh, you know, something interesting about Smiles is one of the, the times that I enjoyed presenting it most was when I got to present it at the NBA Mascot Conference oh, about 15 years ago or almost when I first wrote it. And I presented it not to teach these guys. Obviously, if you're at that level, you're at the top of your game and you're, you know, uh, an A performer and you get all of these things intuitively, whether you verbalize them in an acronym or not. However, I presented it because I wanted them all to order it individually. And I wanted them to say, what do you think you spend most of your time doing that's most important to you? You know, whatever criteria you wanted to use, but, you know, rank them. You know, one through how many, six letters, S-M-I-L-E-S. It's my own acronym, I should know. So one through six. Um, and it was funny. It was different for everybody. I mean, no two guys had an identical uh, ranking. Uh, and it was interesting. You know, I clearly thought laughter was going to come out on top. And it wasn't really. It was kind of an even split. And no one of those things dominated the other. Uh, I think every that just kind of shows that every performer, even at the pro level, um, is different and unique and has different skill sets that got them into it. <clears throat> I don't think that it's easy to say mascotting is about making people laugh <clears throat> or mascotting is about making people cheer and creating home court advantage. Or it's about, you know, spreading your brand in the marketplace and uh, doing as many appearances and getting as visible as possible outside the game. Uh, all these things are important, and what's important is kind of, you know, what the performer feeds and what's uh, important to the organization. So I thought that was that, that was pretty interesting. That is interesting, and I remember that. It was a it was a, that was a great little exercise for us. 
Yeah, man. You know, th- it, this gives a whole different perspective to uh, to mascotting, and you know that 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 I've had on here before. So, or then I've had it on here before mm-hmm. because, um, and and I'm this is refreshing because I like to. Um, you know, of course, I want to change it up a little bit and everything, but I think a lot of people are going to be mm-hmm. interested to hear, uh, you know, the different the different sides of it like this. So, it's a little bit more of a um, academic <laughs> approach, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, with the whole smiles concept and uh, with, I guess, kind of how I frame things up. But I should stop and say, um, you know, I don't think it's a science. I absolutely think it's an art form. I don't think that there is an equation or a formula that leads to success. I think most of uh, the success is situational and there's so many different factors that play into whether something's going to work. Um, yeah. You know, you see this all the time where one guy does one bit and then we share it with each other and then the, you know, four other guys do it uh, and it's some bomb with it. Some do it even better than the guy that did it and wrote it in the first place. Right. There's just so many factors. Yeah. Your, your, your city, your region, the time of year, how the team's doing, the moment in the game. I mean, you know so much uh, better than I that at times you're about to do a bit and something goes your way in the flow of the game and that bit crushes it twice as well as you expected it to. And inversely, uh, you know, Something doesn't go your way, and a bit that you thought was going to be a slam dunk bombs because the crowd's not ready for something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Happens, um, happens, I don't know how many times during this season. Um, and don't you think that's why you still get yeah. butterflies? Oh, yeah. You never know how it's going to go. I, I did a bit where um, a little while, uh, a few years ago, uh, with the Bucks, when the Bucks were in town, and mm-hmm. I had a guy sitting in the stands dressed like a Buck. And, you know, I mm-hmm. went up there, and, and uh, so – it was a really poor, you know, uh, mask and, and everything. And, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. clearly yeah. a knockoff from the local costume yeah. shop. Yeah. So I go up there and I'm like, there's a guy sitting here looking like a buck. Okay. I get it. All right. So I come back with a, uh, with a bat and, uh-huh. and you know, uh-huh. and I'm like, I pulled up a sign that says, uh, more bang for your buck. And, you know, all of a sudden somebody got it. They're like, all right, I'll hear you. Here's a, you know, reaches in the pocket, pulls out a buck, pulls out a dollar. I'm like, all right, thank you. I take the dollar and I just whack the guy on the head, you know? And uh, all, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all the dollars started coming out. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> and, and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep going with this. So I kept walking around the rest of the game with this bat. There's a, you know, it's a foam bat. And, uh, Oh, I had people, you know, hey, 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 my dad's a Buck fan. Little kids, you know, here's a Buck. And, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, I had another, I, in fact, uh, somebody said, you know, hey, here's a Buck, you know, and I look over and here's a guy, you know, in a green jersey or whatever. And uh, so I go over there to whack him. <laughs> and he's like, come on, man, I'm a, I'm a Green Bay fan. I'm a Green Bay fan. You know, <laughs> I'm a Packers fan. Come on. I'm like, ah. Got, I got paid, man. I, I got to hit you. So, you know. <laughs> so how much did you end up collecting? Oh, I got about $47. So probably after all was said and done, the team said, do you uh, 
you'll be making a $47 contribution <laughs> to our charity of choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's not like that went into the uh, post-game drink no, fund. <laughs> no. <laughs> My boss did come down afterwards saying, uh, hey, I saw you, uh, you know, raised some money. How much did you make? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, hand it over. <laughs> it's kind of funny, though, like to your point, how something like that, that you, you know, don't foresee taking off or not that you think is not going to work, but you just don't see it getting owned and going, quote unquote, viral and uh, amongst the audience that quickly when it does. It's such a nice surprise and, and reminds you uh, how lucky we are to get to do what we do. It's not just the, OK, Groundhog Day, rinse and repeat. Right. It's there can always be that wild card um, because we're not putting on a show where we're divorced from our audience. The audience is the stage. And, you know, the other actors in it are the audience members in our little show. And we never really know what they're going to do. It's the definition of an interactive show. Uh, So it always makes it, you know, in some cases, you know, those nights where you're, I call it riffing, uh, you know, where it's like you could do no wrong. Every bit leads into another bit, you know, in the stands. Every interaction just parlays into another action, interaction that's even funnier, and your timing's on. Yeah. And then you have other nights where nothing's funny, nobody wants to be interacted with, and it feels like you've picked each and every one of the people that came there to not see you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You definitely have your on and off nights. And, and, and when you're in the groove, like you just said, it's – it's th- it's those nights where you're like, holy cow! I didn't take a break tonight, you know. Right. You, you, all of a sudden, heck, we're into you know, we're, it's fourth quarter now. All of a sudden, and and uh, mm-hmm. you've just been clipping, and you haven't taken the head off and gotten a drink of water because it's just too yeah, much fun. We're having a blast, and, and you're you're yeah. I've had I think two nights in my whole career where I got to like late third and realized that, and then just said the heck with it. I'm going for it. I want one or two nights under my belt where I don't take a break. Yeah. Disclaimer to young performers, don't do that. Dehydration uh, and other problems at risk. Well, and <laughs> take breaks. Yeah. Take water. <laughs> and then there's those, you know, it's those guys that are um, only there to do. And this is what blows my mind is when you see these guys, you, I'll go visit them or whatever. Or we'll talk about it at a mascot conference where they only go out to do their bits, to do their skits. They don't work the crowd at all. So. If they're not on the court, they're in their dressing room. And I, yeah, I, just... I know that that's kind of um, – I mean, I, I get how guys like you and me don't get that. That's not what we kind of came up on cutting our teeth. Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, there's just a natural desire to work the crowd and that unknown improv excitement that is really the rush. Yeah. The skits are fun. I'm not going to tell you that doing something at midcourt that hits and gets 18,000 people to guffaw all at once is not supremely uh, empowering and fun. It is. However, the stuff that I kind of always just enjoyed more, maybe it's because it's a little bit lower pressure and stress. But, you know, the moments where you make a 100 people laugh here and it's all unplanned and it's not scripted, it's more authentic, real, genuine um, connection between you and your audience, as opposed to something that's a little bit more mechanical with a pre-planned sketch where they're more spectators to your pre-planned show. Whereas when you're riffing and just working the crowd, that's just 
more of a direct stream of conscious connection between you and the collective fan base uh, that's really special and, and can be very special at times. Yeah, I like the fact that we're communicating with them. We're telling jokes. We are... Um, you know, making them laugh uh, it, 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 with a whole beginning, middle, and end in a lot of situations there, and uh, the, you know they follow the storyline with you. A whole, you know, a whole little, just you know, just a section or just a half of a section or whatever. Well, I mean, and, you were great at this. Your character did that. I'm not to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I'm listening to you. And the one moment I'm reminded of is when your character um, was in the middle of interacting with some fans, and this extremely drop-dead gorgeous bombshell of a woman uh, dressed to the nines comes walking by and you kind of just stop your feet are locked where they are but your head turns and then your shoulders turn and your whole upper body turns and then once you get as far as you can your feet follow your arms go out like you're entranced in zombie mode and you follow this woman and she doesn't know i don't think she knew that you were behind Mm -hmm. her and you follow her around half the arena as she makes her way down to whatever VIP bar line or something. And by the time you were done, I think over half the arena was following you and laughing their butts off at what you were doing because it was spur of the moment. It wasn't planned. She didn't know. Um, But it's also you're saying to everybody what they're already thinking. Exactly. Like, wow. (laughs) Exactly. And and you're doing what, you know, most – every guy in the place wants to do and follow, follow and stare and gawk. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then she actually, she walked three quarters of the way around the court. So she started at one corner all the way to the end, cross down the whole length of the court, then down the Mm -hmm. other end of the court and then went up and found her seat. So she was definitely parading. And then I noticed that there was a seat next to her. So I went and planted myself right down next to her and then at the right moment just flipped my head to the side and just stared at her huge boobs and you yeah. know it was I mean and every and the a whole, moment the whole like that is also I mean it's lucky too if you think about it you know she could have just been on a journey of a couple rows or something and then boom your your whole routine ends up being a humorous one off 10 second laugh but here you just get lucky sometimes where the person is headed like you said around three quarters of the arena in everybody's plain view uh, it reminds me when i first got it started i one of the uh, benefits that i had was i was at delaware and uh, dave raymond the original fully mm-hmm. fanatic was always on our sidelines because his coach or his father was our football coach and uh, Dave, you know, gave me a few pointers when I was starting out in 93. And one of the things I always remember he said to me was, he was like, don't be afraid to drag things out. And what he meant by that, he was like, if you see a guy with a bald head, don't just go right up and rub the bald head and go right for it. You know, drag it out, make a big show of it. Make sure that you're not just doing it as a 10 second or 15 second interaction, but really build it up. And it's not just, solely so that it's like a big cartoon scene when you you know kind of lose your composure to finally break down and go rub it but that it gives people time to clue in each other and it gives people time to pay attention so that you can get more and more people watching as opposed to just the immediate 10 people in the vicinity yeah um you know i always remembered that that's a it's a real important clue really important yeah yeah. to take your time 
take your time with the joke. You know, sometimes I, I think even as a veteran performer, I, I would rush sometimes to the joke because I would think, oh, people won't want to hang with me this long or they'll get bored and tune out or move on to something else. And most of the times that's not the case. You know, once you kind of win your audience over, um, you know, as a character, they'll, they'll invest, you know, they're invested and they're going to want to see where you go with something. Yeah. And to add to that, I, I walk around, <laughs> I walk around the arena and I know this is going to sound really uh, pompous or, or uh, selfish or something uh, self-centered, but you know, I've always had this opinion and, and it's really, it's served me in most cases, but a lot of times I walk around the arena kind of feeling like, well, everybody's watching me anyways. And so, you know, I, I, well, that's I, exactly I, I, what you yeah, should yeah, do. And I, I'm the show. So I, you know, I'm always <clears> on. Um, so I, you know, I learned early on, take your time with that and, and everything. I had a, I had a guy, uh, from one of the other teams come and visit me this season. And, uh, after the first quarter, he, <laughs> he was amazed. We were in the back. I took a quick break and he goes, man, I was just watching you out there and I can't believe like you took almost that whole quarter doing one bit. And, uh, he, right. he was just no, amazed. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. He was just amazed. And, and, and he says, and it was all getting to this lady's purse, you know, like she had it sitting over there. You had to, you know, climb up on that. You had to, you know, make the eye contact. You, then you had to mm -hmm. look at the purse and then you had to look away and then, okay, look at, you know, okay. okay everybody knows now that I'm, you know, I'm heading for that purse, but I got to get there because I got to jump from the back of this chair across an aisle onto a railing. Yeah. You know, anyways, it, it, right. it was just, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's all the nuance in that storytelling. It's all the nuance in that nonverbal storytelling that makes something really, truly entertaining. Right. Not just the, oh, he's getting her purse and stealing her purse, but how, why, and all that, you yeah. know, nuance of nonverbal entertainment and communication that people, although you're not using words or facial expression, you don't have the advantage of that mm -hmm. either, uh, that people understand anyway. That's that universal communication that uh, you yeah. know, knows no bounds, really. It, it knows no real uh, country or culture. People get those, that body language, which is you know, one of the reasons I think mascotting is and can be even more successful. Um, it's universal. Right. I... Uh, but you're right. Yeah, drawing it out and making it uh, savoring those moments. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, what I, the magic is. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, and it is magic. Here's another story real quick. Um, I was uh, speaking of, of, of that nonverbal, uh, non-facial expression communicating. I was at an appearance with, uh, an assistant that was a former, like he was my assistant for a, a few years and uh, I won't mention his name because then you'll know exactly where I am or, and what mascot I am. <laughs> but, uh, uh, secretive. Yes, yes. I feel like I'm talking to Bruce Wayne, <laughs> who only I know is Batman. <laughs> exactly. But we're not allowed to let anybody else know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, so I'm at this uh, birthday party for an adult. Some some lady is you know she's turning what thirty two or something I don't know, and it was in the back room of a bar, and they're all adults, and there weren't that many of them, and I was supposed to be there uh, a half hour, and I mean literally a a a, a 
it was just a small room and, and, um, Nobody was really mingling in and out or anything like that, and I wasn't really allowed to go out into the bar or whatever. So literally I was stuck in this small room with just a few people and uh, for this whole half hour. Anyways, I ended up coming out of there, and um, my assistant, he, he goes, man, I can't believe – like I sat there and watched you have conversations with people. <laughs> and I go, without, without words, word. without facial expressions and everything, he goes, and I knew exactly what you were saying. Uh, yeah, that's pretty neat when your assistant can say that, because a lot of times our assistants get bored of our bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Um, especially if they've been with us for a while. Uh, that was always a litmus test for me. If I was making Dominic, who was with me over 16 years, laugh, and he was just hanging his head and shaking it, laughing his butt off. Then I knew I was doing my job and I was having fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, something you said a minute ago about, hey, I walk around and I always thought everybody was looking at me. That's exactly how I believe the character should convey himself. Now, obviously, there's logistical and real world boundaries. We really don't think that inside as performers. Exactly. We know that James Harden is getting paid infinitely more than us and that we are the icing on the cake, not the cake itself. Uh, but a pretty integral part of that, if done right and supported well. Um, but the character, nonetheless, the persona should be of the character should be like, oh, are we having basketball tonight as well? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, is there something going on in between my skits and my uh, messing around? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that should absolutely be the attitude of the character, not the performer. We all have to work with people in the real world. Uh, and prioritize things. And obviously there's constraints, uh, you know, about how long you have to be on the court and get off and all that. And you should absolutely respect those things and work with your people as, as uh, you know, a team. But the way you project your character to the audience should very much be the opposite. Um, and, and when it's done right, everybody gets yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I always think, well, hey, um, all these people are here to see me and then a basketball game breaks out behind me you know so <laughs> but anyways hey you know what let me let's uh let's get to um let's get to some stories let's get to uh tell me uh you know some stories i, I know you have traveled extensively overseas i know that uh you have had some great experiences at home in houston as uh clutch the bear and um mm -hmm. you know just some uh, amazing things so and I know that you have – and some of these stunts that you've done, uh, gosh, you've done uh, races in costume. And um, yeah. uh, you have – So I have actually – my TED Talk was entitled, The Best I Could Do, The Worst I Did. And I boil it down to my four or five best stories that were things that I was most proud of that usually were bore out of some kind of challenge or problem that we then solved and created this, you know, byproduct or asset out of. Uh, and then there was four or five of the biggest blunders in my career, some of which were uh, completely my fault, some of which were no fault of my own, but just left me in a situation that was really precarious. <laughs> Um, so there's been, you know, you know, after 21 years of doing interactive entertainment, 6,000 appearances, 1,500 shows, um, there's, you know, so many stories. Uh, some of the things that I'm most proud of, the school shows, 
<clears throat> the organ donation work. You know, uh, my father received a double lung transplant in 2012, and I took uh, getting people to register to be organ donors uh, in the state of Texas and around the country as a personal cause. Uh, I saw the registry in Texas grow from 2.9 million in 2012 when I got involved to over 10 million now. We just recently surpassed wow. 10 million. That's um, amazing. Some of the things that we did to, to do that were uh, I would run the yearly Houston half marathon in full costume as clutch, and I'd wear a big. Gosh, I, I cannot figure out what the deal is with my, with my do not disturb thing. Gosh, it's driving me Don't crazy. Don't worry about it. I'll pick right up here. Uh, well, that was the second time we were cut off. Kenny keeps telling me it's a problem with his do not disturb app on his phone. I think it's just whenever I say something that he's bored with or doesn't really care about, he just hits the stop button and I get kicked off. He's like, uh, organ donation again. Snooze. <laughs> Anyway, you, found you were me talking out, organ you donation. My dad, his life was saved by a, a double lung transplant in 2012 um, by a guy named Ian Heideman who passed away tragically at the age of 22. But he self-designated himself as an organ donor years before when he was 19. And when that tragedy happened, it could have been just that. Or it could have been what it was, which is also a miracle that saved five lives. My dad's life was one of them. He's still with us today. He gets to see his grandchildren regularly. You know what? Uh, for five, uh, you know, what is it? No, six years later. Jeez, six years later. Um, so I got heavily involved in organ donation awareness and getting people to register. When I got involved with LifeGift, uh, which I sit on the board of now, uh, there was 2.9 million Texans registered. We now celebrate it. Over 10 million registered just recently. Uh, Transplants are up. Life-saving uh, organ donation uh, gifting is up. Uh, we're saving over a thousand lives alone in the Houston area. One of the things that we did to inspire people to register was I would run the Houston Half Marathon in full costume every year as clutch, wearing a, a bandana and a T-shirt that said, "You know, Team Clutch." I run for organ donation awareness and register at DonateLifeTexas.org, uh, and we were trying to influence people. Um, so that was certainly a high point in my career and, and being able to affect uh, people and save lives. Um, touring for the U.S. military, doing armed forces entertainment tours overseas in Bosnia and Kosovo, certainly up there uh, with such appreciative groups of full-grown men and women who are serving and in harm's way that honestly acted like a lot of the audience I had back at home for elementary schools. Just so giddy, so excited so responsive, so appreciative in the end. Uh, you know, some of those moments I'll take with me to the grave uh, and that, you know, they were bigger gifts to me than, than I gave to them. Um, so there's been, you know, good stuff. There's been bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> tell me some blunders. That, uh, I can tell you some blunders. I can also tell you that, you know, this was not an easy job. Um, yeah, not by any means. Done it, anybody that's done it, it should look easy to the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what good entertainment should look like. We shouldn't see all the cracks and these trials and the tribulations and how hard it was to get a certain bit out there in front of the audience and how much you had to lobby and how close it was to being cut for 
a, a myriad of different political rele- uh, reasons internally, uh, you know, and whatnot, and how to manage all those situations. And there's no real clear roadmap to it. Uh, it should look easy. But the fact of the matter is, is that anybody that's done it well, done it long enough at a high level knows it can be extremely difficult at, at times in your career. It's easier when you have uh, certain situations with your team's performance uh, in play, certain personalities, um, you know, in charge of you or not in charge of you. Uh, there's so many different factors um, that make it a great situation or a tough one. Uh, and then there's, you know, of course, the blunders, times where everything could be great. You could have a great boss that was extremely supportive and, and understands the value of a mascot as both a entertainment tool and a value add and a brand builder and, and, and a marketing tool. Um, <clears throat> community department that gets, you know, your applications and you can be engaged and then stuff can just go wrong. I mean, I ruined a Martin Luther King Jr. Day parade uh, back in 2013. Um, oh, it was one of the lowest moments. I felt so bad. Ouch. Um, oh yeah, we, we, we do this parade every year and it was my assistant and I, Dominic and <clears throat> Dominic had wanted to really do a good job for these people this year, especially. So we loaded up our Mylar uh, streamers that we get from John Kudo at gameops.com plug. Mm-hmm. Not one either. <laughs> um, uh, you won't hear that again. Most of my plugs are about my own website, robertbodwin.com, mycmoforhire.com. Visit my TED Talk there as well. Uh, but anyway, back to what I'm saying. You know, we, he pulls out the expensive streamers, the Mylar ones that are made out of, like, the shiny metal, uh, and they're silver and red, like our Rockets colors. And they look a little bit more dynamic. They shimmer. They look like a firework almost compared to the flat paper streamers. And he's thinking this is a good time to use those. We're going to make, you know, those moments where we bang off the cannons even bigger and better. And, of course, we do that in front of the grandstands. And the grandstands, there's a DJ and the news stations are set up and all the dignitaries and local celebrities that are there. And that's where the band's playing, the PA's playing, you know, the woman on television saying, and now we have from this high school the marching band and here's Clutch. Well, right when we're in front of there, Dominic hands me out two of the, the cannons. I pop them off. And not but, I don't know, five seconds later, I hear a big boom. And, man, it scared me. And my first thought was, oh, my gosh, there's a terrorist attack. Those damn neo-Nazis are attacking the Martin Luther King Jr. Day Parade. And then I hear a helicopter overhead, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the police are already on the scene. Of course, not realizing that helicopter was there the whole time, just covering the parade. And then it started to set in a second or two later. Huh. I wonder if that was me. I wonder if that boom had something to do with my, my streamer cannon. Oh. And uh, I start yelling back, hey, Dominic, was that us? And he's like, I don't know, bro. I'm like, was that us? He's like, I don't know, bro, but I think so. That sounds just like Dominic, by the way. Oh, nobody stops us, by the way. The parade keeps going on. All the police officers are still waving to us. Probably because they didn't know what had happened. But even if they did, it's not like it was done from malice. The Mylar streamers went up in the air. And again, they're metal. They went up in the air. The wind caught them. They went into the power lines. And it was one of those perfect storms deals where that thin little piece of tinfoil-like metal connected two spots on a transformer that aren't meant to be connected. 
And boom, it blew it out along with four city blocks, including the main stage that had the power for the media, the power for the PA, the band, everything (laughs) blown out. So it was like the ultimate negative mic drop. (laughs) Clutch came in, blew off his cannon, and ended the parade, at least at the grandstands, in one false move. Oh, man. So talk about wanting to crawl under a rock. Yeah, you ever, you know, like, we are anonymous in these characters. We're trying to keep that anonymity up for you right now. But in a moment like that, you feel like you're wearing a cellophane plastic baggie and that everybody can see right through it. And they are looking at you, your face, and looking at you dead in the eye like, you idiot. Just ruined this parade. Um, and that's where inside there they have no idea but you are beat red oh, and yeah. all of a sudden you're sweating 10 yeah, times you're as in much tears. as you were you know but they a lot of times people oh, confuse the gosh. fact that there's a painted on grin on the outside of your costume and they confuse if, that yeah. fact is like oh you're not taking this seriously oh you but i am <laughs> oh but i am I am thinking uh, right now that that career in accounting might have been a much better choice <laughs> back in 1992. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so true. I've had so many people look at me like, like that, like, like uh-huh. you don't even care, do you? <laughs> oh no, and you know you totally care, but uh, yeah, so things don't always go right. The good totally uh, outweighed the bad for me. Uh, it's not like that for everybody, and a lot of it has nothing to do with me. You know, it's it's mentors that I had. It's people that I had, bosses that supported me, encouraged me, ownership that gave me resources that I needed. There's a lot of talented guys out there. And unless those pieces of the puzzle get put in place for them, they're just simply, you know, not going to achieve maybe some of the highest levels. And that's to no fault of their own. Uh, now, you've got to lobby yeah. for those things. You've got to have fortitude and persistence and persuasiveness. Uh, you know, you're not going to be handed anything. Um, you know, in, in some aspects, and I'm sure you can agree, you're a little bit of an island. You're a department mm-hmm. of one. You have yep. to uh, be your own advocate uh, and really kind of not always just advocate for what you need, the budget, the tools, uh, the trust, the leash to do something that might be a little bit more risque or uh, objectionable or, you know, political correctness. Um, but also you kind of just need to advocate for the profession itself and the, the need for this entertainment beyond just the game. Sometimes people forget about that and they get so used to it that then they you know, wonder if they need it. And you have to kind of be the, the protector of the experience as well as that I found and, and the, you know, the lobby for the fan. And saying, no, our fans deserve this. They deserve a multifaceted um, variety show where they see amazing dancers performing, you know, synchronized routines, but also edgy, interesting, not vanilla, not safe, not middle of the road sketch comedy. Um, So you kind of have to do that. And then if you do gain the ability and the permission to do it, then you got to, you know, write good stuff. You got to produce it, direct it and star in it. And frankly, yeah. those are the hardest things to do, but they're also the most rewarding. What other form of entertainment do you really get? I mean, other than Sylvester Stallone with Rocky or a few key writer actors on Saturday Night Live, how many people really get to 
come up with something from scratch <clears throat> from the drafting room floor, you know, ideate, create a bit, write it out, script it out, then direct it and produce it. Be in charge of hiring or finding the people that are going to act in it or the plants that are going to be in it, rehearsing it and directing it, cueing these people, and then starring in it. Uh, you get to take something literally from A to Z in the creative entertainment process. And there's just not a lot of stations like that in entertainment that I can see. Uh, and I've always found that magical. I mean, truly magical, you know, where you could come up with a bit. And if everything was working and, and, and the planets were in line in your organization and your department, <clears throat> you could think of something 24 hours out or even day of you know, the morning of a game and make it happen that night. Yeah. And I, I do that a lot. In fact, I find that a lot of my stuff, it, it hits so much better um, when in, in the cases where it's been last minute or it's been a last minute idea or it's just hit me, you know, be, you know, day of a game, a lot of those time, you know, a lot of those last minute things really, really hit for me. And there's no question. Um, yeah, and it, you and, know, and I think you can attest. There's been periods of your career where you had more uh, leash and uh, you know latitude to do that, and other times not. I mean, um, absolutely. You know, and that really just comes down to the, the temperature of the organization at the time and how things are. Um, I know that that can be painful for management and other departments at times with coordinating things last minute. It also takes a great degree of trust and discipline in, from a manager when something doesn't play out right <clears throat> to not say we're not going to do this stuff again last minute and we need to put all these approval processes in place. That, that usually doesn't serve the end result. That usually inhibits creativity and is stifling. Uh, so it takes discipline there. Um, but ultimately, well yeah, I tend to like to run and gun more. I feel like ideas beget ideas. I thrive under the timeline of pressure. Um, I tend to feel like I get a little bit more. I question myself if it's overly planned or scripted or I seek to. You know, I too do many, that too. You know, not even just if you have to seek too many approvals, then you're just going to bleed your material to the middle. It's just going to push it to the middle so that it's not funny. It's going to be overly yeah. safe, overly bland, overly vanilla, because everyone's going to get to stick their finger in the pie. And, and what's going to come out is too many chefs ruin the pie uh, or the stew yep. or whatever. So, but even if you, you get past that, even if I say I don't have to seek any approval, if it's just me, if I write it too far in advance and think about it too much, then I tend to overproduce it and I get a little bit mechanical in the way I execute it. And it's not as free and fluid and real and authentic. And I think the audience sees that I am too nervous at the back of my mind. You know, <laughs> that's right. You're overthinking it. And I'm, I'm always trying to tell myself, don't, don't think, just do, just go, just do it. You know, and you, you, you thought about it enough, stop, just go. Right. Run out there. Do <laughs> you it. Know? You're going to get the butterflies yeah. in your stomach. The two to three minutes before the quarter break or the timeout hits when you're in the back there. But that's usually mm -hmm. a good energy. You know, yep. occasionally you'll come across something and say, eh, you know, if I put a little bit more time and effort into that, it would have been better. But that is the exception. That it is really the is. Exception. If you look, you can count those on one hand in your career where you could say, ah, 
I should have, you know, gotten that extra prop or taken a little bit more time to communicate. Uh, you know, you just need a crew that can really kind of run and gun with you. Yeah. You know, and speaking of that, uh, you've had a lot of good resources and a good crew in, uh, in Dominic. He was a real good asset for you. I'll tell you what, he's one of the best, uh, or, or, or if not the best, I had, I had a couple good ones in my career and, uh, uh, I, I, they were invaluable to me as an assistant and Dominic as your assistant is, uh, or was, uh, man, he's, yeah, he's I mean, a great guy. The thing about him is he was, you know, got beyond just being an assistant and he was almost a secondary character. His ability right. to engage the fan and the customer and the public directly with eye contact and a smile and a almost cartoonish, uh, interaction and exaggeration. Um, was well, he had the personality for it as well. Absolutely. When you when you when you say cartoonish, he he was kind of a cartoony yeah. <laughs> kind of guy. The way he looked, the way you know, the way, the way he, he laughed, spoke, his was voice, big, yeah, over the top. Uh, and people like him relate to that in entertainment. You know, he was so yep. affable. He was like a mascot without a costume. He didn't need the costume. Yeah. He his his <laughs> body and face was his costume. Um, you know, and then. That really was a strength of his when it came to our school shows. I think yeah. we did a school show that was so dependent upon the nuance uh, between each other as performers and the timing. And it wasn't stuff that you'd see on a script anywhere. You know, my original script might have been a one page full of 10 bullet points. Um, that was what you followed, you know, that were, you know, five minute routines each. But how they were done and the individual jokes and interaction developed over a decade of working together, um, you know, and then not a lot of people could pull that off. I've met very few assistants that can do it at that level. They tend to be a little bit stiffer or more reserved or more self-conscious or not willing to play the dolt, you know. Right. Uh, Dominic wasn't stupid, but playing that kind of daft, character as the straight man in the school show was the deal that clutch was always kind of pranking on until he gets caught and then he lays down the law on clutch and tells him you know and disciplines him but that was kind of the role and he really did well at that he embraced it uh he trusted me early on with a lot of the training and the notes and he committed to doing it and uh it served him uh very very well yeah you guys made a really good team and uh it was a real different uh, and next level type of situation uh, from what was going on uh, and is still going on in the uh, in the mascot world. That's very unique. Yeah, he was kind of like Batman yeah. and Robin, only where yeah. Robin was yeah, like three hundred pounds. Jerry Lewis. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> Jer- <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dom. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he'll hear. This. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call him. Yeah. Say, hey, you gotta listen. <laughs> you yeah, gotta you listen. know what you should call him. Yeah. Call him and tell him, hey, Robert just quoted you at three hundred pounds, but I know that it's two eighty five. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll hit that for sure. Uh, I always said um, he was the best athlete in Houston that was over 250 pounds and under five and a half feet. I stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see him do a round off back handspring? Uh, you know, right out of the worm? I mean, it was something like bumblebees are not supposed to fly, but they defy, you know, uh, physics. Somehow they anyway. do. 
and Dominic can throw, do the worm and throw around off back handspring at the age of uh, late 40s and almost 300 pounds. It's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> He's a phenomenon in himself. Yes. Uh, that's great. Well, um, yeah, so, oh, I was going to tell people, uh, this is just a little stupid, you know, kind of, you know, minimal thing, mm-hmm. but, uh, but these are the things that, that, um, you know, the little things that you brought out that, um, I, I, I totally stole from you. Like, uh, one of the things was, um, your shirt that says, I hate cell phone cameras. <laughs> yeah. Man, I love that shirt. And when I saw you, I saw that when I, I was out there visiting or something, I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And I, I love that. I don't use it very often because I, I like to save it. And uh-huh. uh, just for those family nights where there's just a million kids and you can't, I mean, from the get-go, everybody is, hey, 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 picture, 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 you know. And, uh, of course, they're not asking, they're telling, they're grabbing, they're pulling, they're, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, of course, that's when I feel like, oh, I'm just reduced to, you know, a, uh, I don't know, an, a, an attraction instead of a, like an a, entertainer. A statue. And, yeah, a statue, statue, exactly. Yeah, like, oh, it's my so, job to stand here still while people take pictures for me for, with me for the next half of the game. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you don't want to be a so, jerk. You don't want to be like that dick that says, hey, beat it, kid. I'm uh, trying to make people laugh. Uh, right. So, yeah. Right. We were so always... you just embraced it. Yeah. I love it. And... embraced it. And I said to myself, you know, I didn't even ever have to tell myself this. I knew that I would never walk away from a kid or a line. Um, and I was very clear with, like, security and Dominic that, listen, I'm never going to walk away from a line. I'm not going to just walk away, you know, because I have the next skit or whatever. That's your job. It's going to be your job to articulate with a very nice expression and tone that I'm sorry. Clutch has, you know, this skit or T-shirt toss coming up and he has to go. Um, Or better yet, I always wanted the line managed so that nobody got into that line, even if it was an informal one that started in the stands, that nobody got into it you know, five minutes ago so that it was cut off and somebody, one of my staff was standing at the back so that nobody got into it and then weighed it and didn't get one that we turned people away five minutes out. Um, but yeah, that, that came, you know, clutch was always a little edgy. You know, I would, the first word I would describe him as is mischievous. He was also fun loving and electric and all that stuff, but he was mischievous. So he was always kind of tippy toeing into the area. Don't, but quickly scurrying back into the area of do. And he was always a little bit pushing people's buttons in a fun way. Um, so, you know, I would wear that shirt. I'd always have Dominic carry it around. And if I saw people coming out of the stands, like a bunch of little cockroaches coming, filing down into the stairs. And I just know they're going to come down here and they got their phones out and their faces are all excited because they want to put it on their Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever else exists in the world now um, that my kids will be telling me about soon. Um, mm-hmm. I would, you know, do the timeout sign, hold on, turn around. Dominic would throw that over me, and then I'd turn back 
so that they'd all read along with that whole end of the arena. Um, usually it was an end zone. Uh, they'd all read it at the same time. And then I'd get one big guffaw. And it was from about the 2,000 people in the end of the arena. And then there was an interaction with each person where I would act like, oh, God, I'd look up at the heavens like, dear Lord, why did you <laughs> allow these people to invent these cell phone cameras? And then I would just look down and I'd put my arm around the person and just sigh in despair and like I was giving up on life, take the picture. But the second the picture got taken, then I would pop out of that character and rub the person on the head like, hey, pat him on the shoulder, you know, kind of letting them know, hey, it's all gigging. People loved it. Um, and so yeah. They, they and as soon as you put that on, that's when everybody's cell phone came out. Oh, yeah. Out. Then they then really got yeah. like, I mean, yeah, they're just like, you really oh screwed yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? If, you know, that thought, type thing. And, if you thought that they wanted a picture with a teddy bear that looks like a rat wearing a rocket jersey beforehand, now they really want a picture with a teddy bear that looks like a rat wearing a rocket jersey <laughs> wearing a shirt that says, I don't want a picture with your dumb phone. <laughs> then they really want it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh yeah. They're, all, the they're all like, oh, life. I got to get this. I got to get this, yeah. man. Stay right here. Stay right here. <laughs> oh, do you remember that yeah, one time, that. Kenny? We were doing that uh, interview, and then you asked me about what I was doing now. Oh, yes. Thank you. So now I've created <laughs> a new character <laughs> called Newton. He was originally introduced on April 1st, 2017, aptly. April Fool's Day, uh, and then on July 4th, 2017, he got promoted from what he was originally introduced as Newton, Houston's Smartest Dragon, to Newton, America's Smartest Dragon. And we have done shows uh, out there in Colorado and up in Pennsylvania. Um, we've done school shows. We, we have done minor league baseball. We partnered up with Reggie, the Purple Party dude. We do minor league baseball across the country. But, um, you know, I'm excited. I'm getting to do a lot of school shows and continue the relationship that I've had with schools in Houston. Only instead of Clutch, it's now Newton. Uh, and we kind of revamped the show that I had kind of been doing the same show format for almost uh, 21 years. Uh, now it's a lot more around creativity and imagination and inventiveness and the power uh, of creativity and uh, how powerful that can be in your, your life and your education and your career and how combining all the things that they're learning uh, can be kind of reconfigured to invent or innovate in uh, the world and their careers. Um, so we're still doing the anti-drug shows as well uh, with Red Ribbon Week and the star testing pep rallies, but we've incorporated this message in um, it allows me to keep, uh, you know, one foot in the mascotting world, uh, but not dominate my time so that I'm also still able to pursue, uh, pursue my consulting business. My biggest client is the Sam Houston Race Park. I'm their acting director of marketing on a consulting basis uh, each year. So I do all of their entertainment promotions and marketing, um, doing some show writing for the Harris County Houston Sports Authority, uh, produced their first ever um, <clears throat> Houston Sports Awards. So it was interesting writing lines for J.J. Watt and Akeem Olajuwon and Earl Campbell and Nolan Ryan when I ver know very little about sports myself. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Googling all these guys, but then I'm kind of reading and researching, but then writing funny lines and interactions. Um, so you know, I just had my first TED Talk. I'd encourage your listeners to go out and check out that TED Talk on my site. 
Uh, Absolutely. Iamnotfunny.com will also bring you to my site, I-A-M-N-O-T-F-U-N-N-Y.com. Uh, we'll bring you to robertbodwin.com. Uh, and I and, uh, would love those people to visit and see kind of some of the other stuff that I'm getting into lately. It's uh, a diverse and eclectic group uh, of activities. Well, you got a lot of things going on, and your mind literally, I think, can cover so many different areas of of entertainment, um, sports, schools, things like that. You've got such a great influence and a great, uh, um, you know, a great energy about you. And I would encourage anybody uh, in the sports uh, arena, especially. Uh, because that's what I know, and that's what uh, uh, you've been involved with the most. But, I mean, professional sports, uh, right on down to uh, college sports uh, and uh, even high schools or whatever. But I would encourage uh, people to uh, reach out to you and uh, for consulting and, 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 and just, you know, first of all, get a feel of your energy and what you can uh, bring to uh, their game and, uh, and beyond. So, I mean, everything from your feel for the entertainment, the flow of the game, uh, obviously mascots, uh, but then also the, uh, the entertainment side of what they can do uh, in the stands and, uh, you know, just, just all aspects there. So, um, I mean, you will not go wrong with, uh, with Robert. And so that's my, uh, that's my little plug for you there as well. I appreciate it. Yeah, I you got know, a lot of confidence in you. Well, you know what a big fan I am of uh, you and your career and your character. I watch frequently. I pay attention. I'm always excited to see uh, what the latest thing you've concocted is. And, uh, you know, I'll be excited to see what, what comes for you next. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're getting I'm old. A, <laughs> we're getting old, but we're not going to die no, yet. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Ain't no spring chicken, but uh, <laughs> I don't have my foot in the grave yet. Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, and uh, and I'll have you on again here if you don't mind. I'm 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 gonna see if I can get Dominic on here too. That'd so. be fun. We could go back and forth, and it could be we like get all yeah, no two get all three of us on like, here. Like, let's hear this story from Dominic's angle. Now yeah. let's hear it from Robert's angle. Dominic can tell you stories like when I yelled at a kid at a school show one time while I was in costume in front of the entire room of a thousand kids and teachers. Um, yeah, just not get booed at the wrong time because they weren't getting, you know, the prize that some other kid got and just said, that's why you're not getting one. <laughs> uh, it was great. Oh All God. the teachers just looked at clutch or no, looked at the child and just kind of pursed their lips and just kind of shook their heads like, mm-hmm. you're right, clutch. <laughs> That's how she is. Oh, uh, yeah. A, he, he can tell you some good stories that. about, yeah, of some <laughs> of my blunders that I don't remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely have, have to get all three of us on here. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having man. me on. Hey, you're awesome. Keep up the good work. And uh, again, thanks for coming on Between the Fur. Thanks, Between so. the Fur. Till next time. <laughs> all right, brother. We'll talk Goodbye. to you soon. Love you. Love you we'll too. see you. All right, bye-bye.